Welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick. When I was little, my uncle took me to a soccer stadium. I must have been seven or eight years old. It was the stadium of River Plate in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I still remember the first time I went. At the beginning, I was afraid of being surrounded by so many people I didn't know. Uh, now, once at the stadium, we walked up and up the stairs that seemed unending. I felt like Frodo and Sam in the Lord of the Rings going up the stairs of Kirith Ungol. And then I, we finally got to our section when I walked out from the hallway or that area to the inside of the stadium. I felt like this incredible sensation, a sort of awe at the sheer size of the place and the height at which we were. The people down below in the uh, field uh, seemed like little ants moving around. It was just like a football stadium with all the fans, the team colors, the flags, the chanting, and the passion visible in all the different people. Going to a packed soccer stadium is just awesome. And one of, the most, one of the most amazing feelings is when the home team scores the goal, especially if you're a fan of the home team. The crowd goes wild. The people start yelling, jumping, hugging, throwing stuff in the air. There's this huge roar that you hear, and you can even feel it in your bones. You get goosebumps. Your heart rate goes up. The adrenaline seems to come out through your skin. You feel like jumping like everyone else. And that is because the surrounding circumstances trigger your passions, and they seem to be unleashed. St. Augustine uh, speaks about something similar in his Confessions when he speaks about his friend, Alypius, when attending the Roman circus. And we will mention something at the end uh, of this episode about that. So, but this is what I, what I want to reflect upon today, the human passions. As you know, man can be described as a rational animal in the sense that he has a nature in many ways similar to an animal, but it is infused or informed by a rational soul. And therefore, we're essentially different from animals. In fact, our soul is rational. It is spiritual and therefore subsistent in itself and immortal. In this sense, the higher part of our being is the soul, which is a rational soul. So it has an intelligence or a reason and a will. And then the lower part of our being is the physical being, the body, with all its qualities, the life of the senses, and so forth. Both elements are part of one being. So both elements uh, constitute our one being and both have its qualities that form part of our human being as well. One of the elements that are proper of the life of the senses as opposed to the life of the spirit of the, or the mind are the passions. But what are the passions? These passions are interior impulses that affect our being and dispose us to act in particular ways. In a general way, they can be called uh, passions or emotions or feelings. 
they are given to us by God, in the sense that they are part of God's creation, an integral part of our human being. By their own nature, these interior impulses dispose us, they incline us to act or not to act in particular ways. And they also accompany our deliberate actions, our freely chosen actions to help them in the fulfillment of their purpose. Now, how do these passions relate to our moral life? So, in themselves, the passions are neither morally good nor morally evil. They are simply movements that, in their initial impulse, don't depend directly on our will or our deliberation. On the contrary, they are reactions, so to speak, either to outside objects that are perceived through our senses or to interior objects perceived by our imagination. A simple case uh, would be, for example, if I'm walking down a road at night where there's public lighting, and suddenly all all the lights turn off, and I have to continue walking for a couple of blocks in pitch darkness. I would probably feel afraid, and maybe start hearing sounds, and maybe suddenly I get startled by what I thought was a shadow moving toward me. The passion of fear is something I can't completely avoid, and it will be triggered partially by real external objects, but also by other things that I could imagine that they are there, but in reality they're not. In the same way, I can feel attraction or love for some person, or for a pet, or a thing. And perhaps dislike or feel hatred for some other person or thing. Now, to some extent, these uh, things, these passions, emotions, happen in me, so to speak. They are involuntary emotions or passions that are triggered by realities I come in contact with. Of course, after that initial moment, the mind and the will enter into the equation, and especially the will, can embrace those passions, allow them to guide us and give us a certain push, or we can reject them, reject the impulse of the passions and choose to act against them. So in this sense, to uh, quote the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Numbers 1764 and 1765, we read, The passions are natural components of the human psyche, They form the passageway and ensure the connection between the life of the senses and the life of the mind. There are many passions. The most fundamental passion is love, aroused by the attraction of the good. Love causes a desire for the absent good and the hope of obtaining it. This movement finds completion in the pleasure and joy of the good possessed. The apprehension of evil causes hatred, aversion, and fear of the impending evil. This movement ends in sadness at some present evil or in the anger that resists it. So, up to there, uh, the Catechism. So, as you see, there are several passions. The main one is love. Love, now understood here as a passion, an emotion, not 
love as a deliberate choice of the will. Apart from love, we have uh, pleasure, joy, hatred, aversion, fear, sadness, and anger, and many others. For example, uh, lust, f lust or greed for, for wealth, lust for power, and also lust for uh, sensual pleasure. Now, in the Gospels, we see how our Lord, in different moments, experienced different passions. This is because he is a man, truly human, while being God at the same time. He has a complete and perfect human nature, and therefore he also has passions. Although in his case, they don't have the slightest disorder caused by original sin, right? So we have the disorder of original sin, Christ didn't. So we see that he was sad and he wept when they told him that his friend Lazarus had died. And we can read that in John chapter 11, verse 35. We also read that he manifested the passion of anger when he violently expelled the merchants and the money changers from the temple area, which we also read in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, 17. And finally, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sad with the sadness of death and felt fear, for he was about to suffer uh, his terrible passion. And we read that in St. Matthew chapter 26. And this is what Matthew says. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then in Luke chapter 22 we read, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So to, up to there, the gospel. Here you see uh, very clearly how even though he was the Redeemer, the only Son of God, our perfect role model, still, because he was a human being, he had passions. Of course, again, perfectly ordered passions. But these passions played an important role in his life. Now, some people are more passionate. And in that sense, we mean that these passions are triggered more easily in them. And they rise quickly in their strength. And they tend to take over the person more powerfully. While some other people are quite the opposite. Their passions are triggered with greater difficulty. And when they do, those passions tend not to be so overpowering. These tendencies have their good aspects and their negative aspects. The key thing is for each one of us to recognize these qualities and uh, know how to respond virtuously, never allowing ourselves to be guided by our passions only, but instead always choose to have our reason and our will 
be the ones who guide our choices and decisions. And the passions should help. So our reason and our will must be illuminated by faith and strength in God's grace. So you see, the passions in themselves are neither morally good nor morally evil. They are a good thing insofar as they are created by God and given to us as part of our human nature. However, uh, because of original sin, they have a negative aspect because they have been disrupted, discombobulated, so to speak, by the effects of sin. In that precise sense, our passions can become better or worse, and now, yes, we can be or could be guilty or responsible for how our passions react. Because through repeated sin and vice, we can make the disorder of our passions worse, and they can lead us more and more powerfully into sin. On the contrary, through good actions and virtue, we can bring order to our passions, make them better, and train them, so to speak, to be more and more under the guidance of our will, inspired by the love of God. So we can actually train our passions to be our helpers, our aids in the path toward holiness. So while the passions in themselves have no moral value, that is, they are neither good nor evil, we can make them, in a sense, good or evil insofar as they become the effect of our choices and our habits. And here again, uh, we will, I'll quote the Catechism that says in Numbers 1767 and 1768, In themselves, passions are neither good nor evil. They are morally qualified only to the extent that they effectively engage reason and will. Passions are said to be voluntary either because they are commanded by the will or because the will does not place obstacles in their way. It belongs to the perfection of the moral or human good that the passions be governed by reason. Strong feelings are not decisive for the morality or holiness of persons. They are simply the inexhaustible reservoir of images and affections in which the moral life is expressed. Emotions and feelings can be taken up into the virtues or perverted by the vices. Up to there, the catechism. So the passions are part of a human nature and they play an important role in the process of our sanctification. They can help us a lot, but they can also be obstacles. In fact, part of our sanctification, what being holy means, is not only to pray a lot or to do good external things and to those around us, uh, it means primarily to bring the whole of your being, your mind, your will, your virtues, and even your passions under the influence of the grace of God under the action of the Holy Spirit, so that all our being, both our spiritual being and our physical being, may be ordered and perfected into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is how we become uh, more interiorly united, so to speak. We become one, and we grow in our interior peace. God can be more easily present in us, 
and we will respond more readily to the action and the inspirations of the Holy Spirit, not only with our mind and will, but with our passions as well. That is what the growth in holiness implies. And that is what all of us should desire and crave for. A complete perfecting of our interior being. So here I'd like to ask you to be a little patient with me, because I'd like to read to you a section from the Confessions of St. Augustine, uh, book four, book six, sorry, uh, where we see the power, in this case, a negative power, of our disordered passions, and how negative it is to give in to them. So my goal in sharing this with you is to help learn from another person's example how important it is to stay away from the occasions of sin that might unleash our passions. By the way, remember that St. Augustine, when he writes his confessions, he writes them as if he were speaking to God about his life. So, I quote here from St. Augustine. Alypius had arrived in Rome before I did to study law. There he had been seized by an incredible obsession for gladiatorial spectacles to an unbelievable degree. He held such spectacles in aversion and detestation. But some of his friends and fellow students on the way back from a dinner happened to meet him in the street. And despite his energetic refusal and resistance, used friendly violence to take him into the amphitheater during the days of the cruel and murderous games. He said, If you drag my body to that place and sit me down there, do not imagine you can turn my mind and my eyes to those spectacles. I shall be as one not there, and so I shall overcome both you and the games. They heard him, but nonetheless took him with them wanting perhaps to discover whether he could actually fulfill his promise. When they arrived and had found seats, the entire place seethed with the most monstrous delight in the cruelty. He kept his eyes shut and forbade his mind to think about such fearful evils. Would that he had blocked his ears as well. A man fell in combat. A great roar from the entire crowd struck him with such vehemence that he was overcome by curiosity. Supposing himself strong enough to despise whatever he saw and to conquer it, he opened his eyes. He was struck in the soul by a wound graver than the gladiator in his body, whose fall has, had caused the roar. The shouting entered by his ears and forced opened his eyes. Thereby, it was the means of wounding and striking to the ground a mind still more bold than strong, and the weaker for the reason that he presumed on himself when he ought to have relied on you, my God. As soon as he saw the blood, he at once drank in the savagery and did not turn away. His eyes were riveted. He drank in the madness. Without any awareness of what was happening to him, he found delight in the murderous contest and was inebriated by bloodthirsty pleasure. 
he was not now the person who had come in, but just one of the crowd which he had joined, and a true member of the group which, he, which had brought him in. What should I add? He looked. He yelled. He was on fire. He took the madness home with him, so that it urged him to return not only with those by whom he had originally been drawn there, but even more than them, taking others with him. Nevertheless, from this, you delivered him by your most strong and merciful hand, and you taught him to put his confidence not in himself, but in you. But that was much later. This is an example of how the passions can affect us in a negative way. The next episode, I will share an example of how our passions can affect us in a positive way. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you share it with your friends. And please also follow us in your preferred platform. And if you can, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Hope to see you next time. May God bless your day.